Amen. If you have a copy of the Word of God, let me encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, in just a moment. We'll read together beginning in verse 35 and conclude our reading in verse 41. I want to talk to you tonight about fear versus faith from a great story that we find from the life of Christ. So many great miracles that Jesus performed while he was on the earth. And if I could choose to go back 2,000 years ago and just be sort of a fly on the wall to observe one of those miracles, I think that this is the one I would choose. Just because of the background of what's happening and the real lesson that Jesus conveys through this miracle, I really do believe that this would be the one that I would want to go back and and just watch play out. It's the occasion where Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples that night when out of nowhere a storm came and Jesus, who had already healed people of diseases and cast out demons and had proven that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, walking and talking among men, that night he did something that went above and beyond that. He literally speaks to the natural elements, and he calms the storm there on Galilee. But he teaches us the lesson of how we face storms that come in our lives, and we face them with faith, rather than with fear. So fear versus faith. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, Scripture says, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? You see there in that question of Jesus, when we face the storms of life, we choose fear or we choose faith. Verse 41 says, And they feared exceedingly and said, one to another. What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. The Gallup organization for many, many years has been the go-to organization to poll the American public. And the last time they conducted a poll to discover what were the most common fears among Americans, 
they discovered that there were 10 very common fears. And I'm going to count them down with you tonight from 10 down to 1. I'll try not to comment on these fears, but I would imagine that in a room like this and with those who are uh, participating in the service online, at least one of these fears might actually resonate with you. Number 10 was the fear of thunder and lightning. So just like the apostles on the boat with Jesus on Galilee that night, when the thunder came and the lightning flashed, they were afraid, and that's the way it is with people. A lot of people are afraid of literal storms. Number nine is the fear of dogs. That's right. Some people are genuinely afraid of dogs. If you have that fear, let me invite you anytime you want to to come and visit with Miss Amy and me, and we'll get you over your fear of a dog. Because we have about a 12-pound powder puff by the name of Tuck. And Tuck, uh, he might lick you to death, but I promise other than that, you'll just be fine. So if you need to get over the fear of a dog, just come see us. Uh, Number eight is a fear my mother had for many, many years. It's the fear of flying. You know, we would try to convince mom to go on a trip with us that required a flight and She just wouldn't do that. And finally, something happened in our family's life that actually required her to fly. And from that point forward, she sort of liked it. But up until that point, mom would always say something like this, I am not going to fly because I count on the promise of the Lord who said, and lo, I'll be with you always. So mom didn't like to fly. Uh, Number seven, every time I look at this, I smile down in my heart and I chuckle a little bit because it's an amazing thing how a close to 200-pound individual can be afraid of something that weighs just a few ounces, the fear of mice. Now, I see you. Some of you have that fear. Isn't that something, you know, we'll get up on chairs and scream and move about and prance all over the house because this little mouse is in the house. Number six, the fear of needles or getting shots. A lot of people uh, don't like that. I don't guess anybody particularly likes it, but some people are genuinely afraid of it. Number five, always reminds me of my uncle. Some of you knew my dad's brother, my uncle Paul, who was Kentucky State Trooper, and Uncle Paul was a tough man, big, tall man, strong man, big hands, you know, he was the kind of man when he shook your hand, it completely wrapped around yours and you knew you had the hand of a man there. But Uncle Paul, uh, as tough as he was, was afraid of spiders. And that's number five, arachnophobia, the fear of spiders and insects in general. Number four, uh, the fear of being cramped in or closed into a small space. A lot of people have claustrophobia. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I have just a little bit of that. Years ago when I was a teenage boy, I loved to go and explore caves. And I was in a cave one time, not too far from here. And we went through one pretty large room in the cave. And the person I was with who'd explored it before said, 
we need to crawl back, and then when we get through this gap, you'll see one even more impressive and larger than this. But what he didn't tell me was to crawl back there, there was probably a half an inch between the top of your head. And I'm telling you, we were on all fours just pulling through that little seam in the cave. And here's what I did. I got in the middle of that thing and I said, Lord God, if you get me out of here, I promise I'll never put you to this test again. So for the first time, I understood claustrophobia and I don't like that, being cramped into a small space. Number three is a lot like number eight, which was the fear of flying, but the fear of heights, just being up in any type of a high place. My wife and I honeymooned in Niagara Falls. And so I had uh, put together a trip. Amy's from the Deep South. She's from Middle Georgia. And there's a tradition in the Deep South that the bride does not know where her groom is going to take her on the honeymoon. So Amy didn't even know that that's where we were going. And so I'd arranged everything, and one of the day things that we were to do was to ride uh, upstream from the falls on the Canadian side across uh, the river on this cable car. And we got there on the platform, and I didn't realize she had this particular fear. And I was about to step on the platform or off of the platform onto the cable car, and I looked behind me, and Amy's still standing there. And she says, I'm not going with you. And right there and then was our first newlywed argument. She won. And she's won many times since, by the way. But she said, you go, you go to the other side, look at it, and ride back. I promise I'll be right here waiting for you. And she was true to her word. Number two, the fear of what I'm doing right now, public speaking. A lot of people can do a lot of things, but don't put them up in front of a crowd of people to speak. And then number one, now when I tell you this, it reminds me of a story with my grandfather. But number one is the fear of the slippery, sneaky, slimy snake, right? A lot of you probably say what a lot of people have said down through time, they'll say the only kind of good snake is dead snake, you know. Uh, My grandfather uh, had a farm uh, in in what's now a subdivision on the southwest side of Somerset, and he had a barn, and in that barn, up in the loft, he had this black snake that had taken up, and that thing had got quite large just eating all the mice and everything that would be in that barn. And so Pap would would hire people to come in and work with him and help him put up hay. And uh, they'd see that snake and they'd want to kill that snake. And Pap would say, no, that's my mouser. If you touch that snake, I'm going to touch you. Well, that all changed one day when Pap was walking through the barn and all of a sudden that snake fell out of the loft and wrapped right around his neck. Let me tell you, his mouser was gone. (laughs) It was gone at that point. But a lot of people have that fear, the fear of snakes. We have all kinds of fears. And matter of fact, probably 
Some of us in the room tonight are afraid of something that I've not mentioned. And you know what it is. God knows what it is. But perhaps there's a fear in your life, some type of storm that has come up. You've heard it said many times before, but it certainly bears repeating. There's always three categories of people in any room. Those who are going through storms, those who have just gone through storms, and then those who are about to go through some type of storm in your life. But perhaps tonight you're here and you're in the midst of some type of storm. Maybe it's not one of these like a dog or a mouse, but a storm that's much more intense than that. You know what it is. God knows what it is. And perhaps tonight your faith has been diminished in the midst of the storm. What I want you to see from this old lesson in Scripture is that whatever your storm is, however big it is, however small it is, whatever your storm is, you can face that storm with faith instead of fear. You see, 2,000 years ago on the Sea of Galilee, an omniscient Jesus, remember that, Jesus is God. And every attribute and characteristic that you can ascribe to God the Father, you can also ascribe to God the Son. And so an omniscient, by that I mean Jesus knows all things, and he knew that night that he and the apostles were going to encounter a storm on the Sea of Galilee. But he uses this to teach his apostles and to teach you and me three great lessons about approaching storms in our lives. And if we get these down, these will help us face a storm by faith rather than by fear. Lesson number one is when you're in the midst of a storm as a believer, remember the promises of Jesus. Remember all those wonderful and precious promises that the Lord Jesus has given us. I want you to see that in verse 35 of the text, in red-lettered words, you find the key to this whole story. So Jesus was at a time in his ministry when the thronging crowds of people were coming around him, And so he gets away that night from the multitude and he looks at his apostles and he says to them, let us pass over unto the other side. In common everyday English language, Jesus says to the 12 apostles, let's get in the boat, let's cross over Galilee and get to the other side. You may have read this story and studied it a lot, And perhaps it's never dawned on you that right there, as Jesus makes this request of his apostles, he's also making to them a promise. Do you hear what Jesus says? He says, let's go to the other side. He didn't say, apostles, let's get in the boat together 
and let's push off into Galilee and encounter a storm, and then let's all drown together tonight on the Sea of Galilee. He doesn't say anything like that, but he simply says, let's cross to the other side. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus and his promises are always true. Jesus' promises are his enablements. When the Lord makes you a promise, you're able to do whatever he has asked you to do. And the moment Jesus said, let's go to the other side, you might as well have taken that little boat and named her the unsinkable Molly Brown because she was not going down into Galilee that night because the intention of the Lord Jesus Christ was to take them all the way over to the other side. And I will say something to you tonight. If any statement of the Lord ever proves to be untrue, then my friends, we're all in a lot of trouble. I heard an old black preacher years ago that put it like this. He got in that way of preaching that only they can do, and he, he said, every star will fall out of its socket. The sun will quit burning and the moon will quit shining before any promise that the Lord has given us will ever be proven untrustworthy. And that is so true. Whatever Jesus has promised you, you can count on it. Jesus has given us a lot of promises. They're sprinkled all over the Word of God. I'll just take a couple for an example. What about temptation? You know, that's a storm that all of us have in common, right? Have you ever met somebody that was advanced in years and they've been walking with the Lord a long, long time and they looked at you and said something like this, you know what, I've arrived at the place of spiritual maturity when I'm not tempted anymore. (laughs) You've never heard that because it's not true. All of us, regardless of who we are or how long we've been walking with the Lord, we all get tempted. But you know what? There's a promise in Scripture that corresponds to the storm of temptation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you know these words, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful And he'll not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, what's the promise? He will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This week, if you get tempted, if you encounter a terrible storm of temptation, remember what God has said to you. He said to you through his word that there's always a way to escape it. And if he's promised you, to give you that escape route, he will give it to you because his promises are always true. What about worry and anxiety? You know, sometimes if we're in a storm long enough, we have a tendency to become worry warts. Are there any fellow worry warts in the room? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't even have to nod your head. But many of us have the problem of worry. But you know what the promise of the Lord is? It's conveyed to us in 1 Peter 5, 7. tells us simply to cast all of our worries, all of our anxieties on Him because He cares for you. 
Isn't that a wonderful promise? Anything that would want to entrap you in worry, Jesus says, the Bible says, you can cast that anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's just a couple. But I want you to be aware tonight that Scripture is replete with promise after promise that the Lord has given us and Jesus has never given us a promise that will ever become faulty. Now, I want you to look at something with me. We've read the text from Mark chapter 4, but I want you to look at the first verse of the next chapter. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, and notice what the Bible says. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. You hear what Mark was very clear, very uh, pointed to make sure was in Scripture for us? Jesus said, making the promise, let's go to the other side. Now we've skipped the details. We'll come back to those details in a moment. But I want you to see at the conclusion of everything, everything we're about to think about, Mark says, and they came to the other side. Listen to me closely. God has never promised you smooth sailing, but he has promised you a safe landing. He will take you to the other side. So when you go through the storms of life, remember the promises of Jesus. Number two, when you go through the storms of life, rest in the presence of Jesus. I want you to see what's happening here in the story. Back in verse 36, the Bible says, they had sent away the multitude, then they take Jesus as he was in the ship. Now, incidentally, just in parentheses here, let me point out to you that when they took Jesus, they took him as he was. And beloved, when we take the Lord Jesus Christ onto the vessel of our lives, do you know how we take Jesus? We take Jesus as he is. I hear a lot of people talk these days about the kind of Jesus that they love and the kind of Jesus that they serve. A lot of people will say, well, my Jesus would never do this or my Jesus would never do that. Well, I want you to understand something. Either you believe in and you serve and you take the Jesus of Scripture or you don't take Jesus. You take Jesus exactly as he is. And that's exactly what happened that night as the apostles get into the boat and they're about to push out into Galilee. They take Jesus just the way that he was, Scripture says. And notice the little detail at the end of verse 36, and there were also with him other little ships. Now, can you picture that in your mind? There's Jesus and the apostles. They're over on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and they're about to sail over to the eastern side of the sea. And the apostles get in the boat. Jesus gets in the boat, and Scripture says... There are these other little boats, these other little ships that are sailing across Galilee that night with him. But there's a big difference between the boat of the apostles and all the other little boats that night. 
And the big difference is not a what, but a who. They have Jesus in their boat. And my friend, that's what distinguishes you as a believer from everybody else that's in the world. You as a believer, you as a committed Christian, you have Jesus with you. Aren't you thankful for the presence of Jesus in your life tonight? And it's a constant presence. And there's no storm, there's no problem, there's no issue in life that can remove Jesus from the vessel of your life. He's promised, according to the writer of Hebrews, to never leave us nor ever forsake us. Isn't that a beautiful promise? And so Jesus was on the boat with the apostles that night. And there are all these little uh, boats that, that follow them as they begin to navigate across one side of Galilee to the next. And we don't know what happened to those other little boats. Mark doesn't give us the detail, nor does any of the other New Testament authors. But we know what happens to the boat of Jesus and the apostles. Again, they make it to the other side. Look at verse 37. All of a sudden, there is this great storm of wind, as Mark puts it, and waves beat into that ship so that it was now full. In other words, it's, it's dire in the ship. And it's all because all of a sudden, a storm comes to the life of Jesus and those apostles. Let me explain to you, perhaps you've heard it before, but you need to remember this when you think about this story in the Gospels. Let me explain to you a little bit about the geography of the land there. The, the Sea of Galilee is, is a low place on earth. It's not the lowest. The lowest is about an hour and a half drive south of it on the Dead Sea. That's the very lowest place on earth. But the Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in all the world. And it's surrounded all the way around it by mountains. As a matter of fact, about 30 miles to the north, exactly to the north of the Sea of Galilee, is the great Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon's the largest mountain in that area. In fact, it's snow-capped through many of the months of the year. It's only in the very hottest part of the summer that Mount Hermon isn't snow-capped. And so it's very cool on top of Hermon. And so winds will come eastward off of the Mediterranean and sometimes down and over Mount Hermon, and then they'll blow down toward the Sea of Galilee. And in the middle of the summer when it's really hot, the heat will be rising off of the surface of Galilee and the cool air will come cascading over the mountains. And all of a sudden, when the cold air and the warm air meets, you know what happens. You don't have to be a meteorologist to figure that one out. A storm comes up. I've talked to some of my friends in Israel about this story. I've been there in Israel one time when there was a storm in the region of Galilee but it didn't come up all of a sudden. It had been stormy for the day. But I've asked my friends, does this still happen? They say, absolutely. You can be out on Galilee to this day. And all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, a storm comes 
And you have to go back into the shore because as I saw that one day when it was storming on Galilee, the waves can be huge. And so it happened that night on the Sea of Galilee. The warm air coming up from the surface of the water, cold air coming down from the mountains, all of a sudden, boom, they're in a storm. I believe that that night when they pushed off from the western coast of Galilee to go over to the east, I believe that it was a perfect night. I believe there wasn't a cloud in the sky. I believe it was a beautiful night. You might ask, well, Alan, why do you say that? I say that because Peter didn't say anything. You know, if it had looked unfavorable, Peter would have said something, right? I mean, he just couldn't help himself. And not even did Peter say, well, Lord, I don't know about it. It's awfully windy. I can't see the stars up there. It's cloudy, Lord. I don't know that it's going to be a good night for sailing. Peter didn't say anything. Looked like it was a good night for sailing. In fact, all the other little boats, you see that detail in Scripture, are with them. It's like this little armada of ships are sailing across Galilee. It's as if everybody expected it to be an ordinary, run-of-the-mill, mundane trip across the Sea of Galilee. And in the midst of that peaceful night, boom, the storm comes. The other little boats didn't expect the storm. The apostles didn't expect the storm. But do you know who knew that the storm was coming? Jesus. Jesus knew. I said it earlier when we started out tonight. Jesus, in his omniscience, knew that the storm was coming that night. And so there they are in the middle of Galilee, and boom, they're in, a mid, in the midst of a storm. It's kind of like life, isn't it? Have you ever been going through life and everything was as good as it's ever been? I don't want to always go back to, to my current situation and story, but uh, that's the way life was for us on March the 31st of this year. I mean, everybody was good, the family was well, and, and boom, all of a sudden we're in a storm that we did not expect, and you've been there too. Everybody was getting along. Maybe for the first time in your life, you had a little cushion in the bank. Work was well. Kids were well. Everything was well. And then the phone call comes, and you're in the middle of the storm. Now, let me tell you something about the storm. A lot of people, because we've had so much foolish preaching and Bible teaching, a lot of people think that any time they're in the storm, it's because God is disciplining them. May I say to you tonight, if God is disciplining you, you'll know it's His hand of discipline because you'll know that there's unrepented sin in your life. So don't misunderstand a storm. Sometimes... 
you get into the middle of the storm through absolutely no fault of your own. Years ago, I heard the story about a Texas oil man and his best oil well caught on fire. And you can imagine what a raging flame that was and how intense the heat was. And so they put out an all-points bulletin, said that if any fire company can come and put out this fire, this oil man was going to pay them $1 million right there on the spot. And so all these companies come, the fancy big city companies with their fancy big city trucks, and they get as close as they can to the flame and they can't go any further, have to turn around because of the intensity. And all of a sudden, this rickety old fire truck from a country company comes and it barrels right into the middle of the flame. Those guys get out and they use all their water and pour out their uh, buckets of sand. They get to the point that they're beating that flame out with blankets. And sure enough, they worked and they worked and they finally put out the fire that night. And the oilman came to the company captain and said, I'm going to be true to my word. I'm going to pay you $1 million right here on the spot because you've come and you've put out this fire. And a reporter stuck a microphone in the captain's mouth and said, what's the first thing you're going to do with that million dollars? He said, I don't know about everything we're going to do, but absolutely the first thing we're going to do is put brakes on that old fire truck. (laughs) Sometimes you end up in the midst of the flame and the fire through no fault of your own. I grew up around some people that when anybody went through difficulties in their life, they would sit around and gossip and say things like, hmm, boy, wonder what he did to deserve this. Or what'd she do that God is allowing this to happen in her life? I'm saying to you tonight, sometimes you can be doing exactly what the Lord wants you to do and end up in the flame. Storms come into our lives, and listen to me, brothers and sisters, it will be that way until we get home. It's life. The storms come. And that night on Galilee, through no fault of their own, remember Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They're being obedient to what the Lord has asked them to do. And they get out on Galilee and boom! The thunder rolls and the lightning flashes and the rain starts pouring down on Galilee to the point that Scripture says the boat was already full. But look at Jesus. Look at verse 38. Scripture says, and he is in the back part, the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him and say unto him master carest thou not that we perish just look at this the storms bearing down the boats full of water and Jesus is in the back of the boat asleep Make sure you get this tonight. You need to know this. 
This is the only story in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the Gospel writer says that Jesus is asleep. This is it. You won't find it in any other story in all of the Gospels except for this story. Do you know tonight that there's no accidents in the Word of God? It's not just incidental that Mark writes and he says that Jesus was asleep on the boat. But it's important for us to see this. Brothers and sisters, when we're going to pieces in the midst of the storm, Jesus is at perfect peace. There is no panic in heaven about your storm. And when you're going through the storm, never get the wrong idea that God is pacing back and forth in the throne room of glory, scratching his head, wondering what he's going to do. Beloved, he already knows. And when you're going through the storm, understand this, the storm never catches Jesus by surprise. He knows it, and he has a plan for you. A lot of people love Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you have it memorized. It's a promise that the Lord gave to the ancient Israelites as they were losing their homeland. They were going into captivity. They were about to face a terrible storm, and The Lord says to them, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. God has plans for you even when you're in the storm. Romans 8, 28, you know that verse, and we know that for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, all things work together. So my friend, when you're in the midst of the storm, to face it by faith and not by fear, rest in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is on your vessel and he is, as we'll see in a moment, the master of the storm. You're not going through anything right now that Jesus hasn't faced before. And He cares for you. And He will see you through. When you're going through storms in life, remember His promise. Rest in His presence. But last of all, let me show you this. Rely on His power. The story gets good here, right? So there they are in the storm, being rocked. You can just see it being rocked on the waves that night. The boat was starting to sink because Scripture says it's already full. And Jesus gets up. Look at verse 39. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. I love what the psalmist writes. In Psalm 107, verse 29, He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. 
Jesus speaks. He says, peace be still. And the wind stops and there was a great calm. Don't miss the fact that there's two miracles here. First, you have the miracle of the wind, and then you have the miracle of the wave. First miracle is Jesus speaks to the weather. The weather. And he calms the wind. The storm stops immediately at his command. No more wind, no more lightning, no more thunder, no more rain. The storm is gone when Jesus says, peace be still. And then scripture says there's great calm. The water is completely calm when Jesus casts away the storm. See, that's not natural, is it? Even over here on Lake Cumberland, when we get a little storm, it passes over the lake there, you know, it'll get choppy and you'll have a few little waves. And when the storm's gone, guess what? We still have the choppiness until all the energy of the storm is dissipated from the water. But not when Jesus says, go. Jesus cast away the storm. Storm's gone. And then there's a perfect peace. And then Jesus drives it home to the apostles and to you and me tonight. In verse 40, he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Why are you so fearful? You see, in Mark's gospel, leading up to chapter 4, over and over and over again, Jesus has already proved who he was. In Mark 1, he casts the evil spirit out of that man at Capernaum. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. You remember that? Mark 1, Scripture says that many who were sick and oppressed, Jesus healed them. Also in Mark chapter 1, the man that had leprosy, Jesus healed him. In Mark chapter 2, you remember that they were in the house and the crowd was so great to let the paralytic man in. They had to tear off the roof and they let him in. And what did Jesus do for him? Take up your bed and walk, he said. In Mark chapter 3, the man with the withered hand, Jesus healed him. And guess who was right there and saw all of those things? The apostles. And here they are on the Sea of Galilee that night going through the storm and they're so afraid. Don't pick on them because that's a lot like you and me. What has Jesus done for you? Has he not done awesome and great things for you? Let me tell you something. If Jesus can save your soul, that in itself is enough. If Jesus can save you, that's the greatest miracle of all. But my friend, we are surrounded by so many testimonies 
throughout our lives of how Jesus stepped in when everybody else was just shaking their head. And what I'm going to say to you tonight is simply this. When Jesus steps in and His power begins to work, there is no place for fear. Someone once took the word fear, F-E-A-R, and made the acrostic forgetting every available resource, F-E-A-R. That's what fear is. When you forget the resources you have in the Lord, that's when fear sets in. And you know the old one on faith, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust Him. Forsaking all forsaking myself and my ambitions, forsaking my ability to think through and figure something out, forsaking all, I simply trust Him. And could it be that Jesus is looking at us tonight and He's saying to us in the middle of our storms, why are you so afraid? Are you really going to be afraid instead of having faith? Jesus, the master of the storm, brings peace into our lives. Listen closely, and I'm closing here. Peace, do you know what it is? A lot of people think that has to be just certain circumstances in their life that are falling into place for them to have peace. I have peace if everybody's getting along. I have peace if my health's okay. I have peace if I have that. I have peace if I have this. Listen to me. Peace is not the absence of storms. Peace is the presence of Jesus in the midst of the storm. You hear me? Peace is the presence of Jesus while the storm is raging. And he looks at us and he says, Why are you so afraid? Are you really going to be afraid? How is it that you have no faith? And their reaction that night ought to be our reaction this night. They feared exceedingly. They feared the right way. They weren't afraid of the storm. They were assessing this man, this Messiah, this God-man among them. And they're saying the only thing we ought to say when it comes to Jesus Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Your storm is no match for Jesus. And so tonight, the conclusion is, how are we going to look at the storm? How am I going to look at my storm? We have two choices. 
Either we can be afraid and cower in fear and not be any good for ourselves or anybody else, or we can face the storm with faith. I'm going to choose faith. And tonight, you choose faith. Would you stand with me and bow your heads? Father, I thank you for our moments together in fellowship and worship. Thank you, Father, for such an amazing word. Forgive me, Lord, for I'm a man of frailty and wish I could do justice to share this great story of Scripture. But Father, just in my weakness, I pray your Holy Spirit would superintend. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that's down with fear, I pray that would be replaced by faith. God, if there's one who needs to come, one who needs to profess Jesus as Savior, one who just needs to pray about the storm he or she is in right now, I pray that that person would come and find an altar and pour out their heart to you. God, help us to leave here being people of great faith and not people of fear. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing together.